0: Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast where we have some very interesting news that surfaced Thursday evening. As we record Friday morning, you wake up and things just feel a little bit different knowing that Penn State football players are going to be assembling on campus in just a matter of days. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue with you. As I said, about 12 hours or so ago, Penn State putting word out that they will be bringing back 75 percent Players to campus as the first of a phased uh, reopening of sorts for the athletic department at Penn State. No surprise to see football uh, take precedent in that process. And it's a big step forward. I think it's probably ahead of where we thought the schedule might be. We're going to get into the dynamics in play here. Some feedback uh, from guys like P.J. Mustafer, Sean Clifford, a couple of veterans that we spoke with this week. You'll hear an interview on this episode a bit later from Jair Brown, an incoming defensive back spent the last couple of seasons at Lackawanna College. He talks about his college expectations and also that pipeline that Penn State has developed with Lackawanna and of course later we'll finish off with our five star mailbag but Sean getting back to the big uh news that that broke. Uh you know, again, I, I for me, this feels like you kind of ramped up in a in a hurry in a positive manner and, and I'm looking forward to seeing these guys on campus. Yeah, Center County went green I think last weekend or two or two weekends ago.
1: Um and it was sort of a, a stepping stone to getting where they needed to be. Uh this is this has been coming for a little bit. They they told the players last week to start the quarantine. The sooner you start the quarantine, the sooner you can get back. And then you've got another quarantine. We've got testing. We've got uh, you know a couple of things you where you need to clear some hurdles to get where you need to go. And that June fifteenth date is probably the date that that will shine through. I mean we we've seen it all over the country. June eighth has been a popular date for a lot of places, but that's also not taking into account uh you know quarantining guys when they get back and taking taking the necessary steps they get before they can actually get into the buildings and that's another thing with penn state is you know they're not going to open a lot of places until june 15th and they got to make sure it's clean and make sure they've got their processes i mean there's a whole the thick stack of of things that they have to go through to make sure that they're clearing guidelines and things like that. So it's going to be um, just a, a slow walk toward that June 15th date. And then they're going to see where things are going. And then when they get back, it's going to be, you know, it's going to look a little different. Haluba uh, uh, is going to look a little different or excuse me, lash is going to look a little different with the weight room. Um, you, you know, you're going to get uh, sort of personal workout areas. You're going to get uh, different, uh, sort of a different setup in training, but at least you're back on campus, you're back training. And that's one more step to, you know, what looks to be More and more every day, like a potential full football season. Now we've seen uh, things across the country. Oklahoma State had some players test positive when they got back. Alabama, um, you know, has not confirmed it, but they've had I think five players that have uh, reportedly tested positive uh, per per our Alabama site. Um, So there's uh, a lot to to clear, a lot to go on before that gets to it. But you know, any step where you can get back in June, where you were talking about. Would they be back by the 4th of July or excuse me, would would they be back by August at first? And then, it, you know, it looked like July was the most likely place. So now you're looking at late June and,
0: you know, I think everybody will take late June. Yeah, big picture. This certainly seems earlier than the outlook maybe anticipated just a couple weeks ago, certainly a month or two ago when we really started to try to wrap our heads around how this was going to impact Penn State and, and athletics across the country. Uh, just some some details here, as Sean mentioned, uh, players were told to prepare for this uh, return by quarantining. Uh, that's going to continue. Uh, certainly a lot of excitement. I can tell you, speaking with PJ for this week, he said uh, when he got the news they get back to campus, he would run back to campus if that's what it takes. So these guys have been chomping at the bit. Like a lot of us, there's been uh, some some social deprivation, um, and and you know you talk about being part of that brotherhood with a football program, and all of a sudden having that taken away from you unexpectedly, uh, that's going to weigh on you. So there's going to be a lot of motivation on this return. What will they encounter? Uh, well, there's going to be limited sized workouts. We're talking about groups of less than 20 student athletes. You're not going to see 80 guys in one room right away. Uh, they're going to be supervised by Penn State staff, obviously. And uh, the entire athletic department, 31 programs ultimately going to be part of this uh, phased return. Football leads the way. And here are those protocols. Uh, these guys, when they get to campus, probably before they get to campus, I'm sure, going to be educated on all the COVID safety protocols that they're going to encounter. So nothing's a surprise to them. They're going to have mandatory, mandatory daily health screening questionnaire and their temperature is going to be taken. Uh, that's athletes, that's staff, that's coaches. Uh, they're going to have required use of personal protective equipment they're going to have to adhere to social distance guidelines for meetings and workouts. Again, that means everything's a bit smaller than they're accustomed to. And then enhanced cleaning for all athletic facilities, limited monitored access to facilities. Uh, it's going to be a strange transition. And, and like for all of us who are, you know, popping our heads out and, and trying to go do things more often, uh, whether it's going to, to more stores. I, Sean and I were just talking off air. We both have haircuts scheduled. That's the first time for us, uh, at least from a professional standpoint, in and, and more than three months, I guess. And, and you know, some of you have probably already got out to restaurants here in Pennsylvania, uh, which is something that, that wasn't even on the table a couple of weeks ago. So, again, an adjustment period here, Sean, but most importantly... Uh, from a safety standpoint, from a health standpoint, and from a collective team chemistry standpoint, you're getting these back on guys back on campus, and that was a, a, the biggest clear to, uh, the biggest hurdle to clear within James Franklin and Penn State's control. Obviously, there's a lot more to to go until they're they're playing in Beaver Stadium, uh, but but this is a significant step in the right direction. And it's going to look a lot different,
1: you know, from from a training standpoint, from uh, what you can do. I think Dwight Galt's got a lot ahead of him. I think the uh, the admin team and the ops guys around there have a a lot ahead of them in terms of keeping everyone on track, because, you know, at the end, I mean, we talked about those guys that tested positive at other schools it's going to be about taking care of some of the little things and then those things just add up. And, you know, if you take one false step, uh, you know, you, you end up on that positive list and you end up in the news and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe it, it, it impacts how quickly you can get back. So I'm um, excited to see, you know, the the cart turn that way and, and head up that hill. But uh, long way to go. Uh, but, you know, any any
0: positive, uh, you know, forging ahead is is positive in my eyes. We've gotten James Franklin on a couple of Zoom calls over the course of this whole process. Uh, The first one back in late March, very quickly after the shutdown was announced and the blue-white game was canceled. And then we got him a little bit later on in the process, I think early May. Um, Both times he reiterated the importance for a manageable runway into the season opener if they were going to start on time. And was that 60 days? Was it 45 days? He talked about, hey, back in my day, you, you didn't spend all this time on campus you showed up you know five six weeks before the season you went to camp and and, and that was that uh, it wasn't all this specialized 365 day a week process for finding your peak in the football season uh so it always sounded like Franklin. you know the number was lower than a 60 day kind of deal but they're getting a, a substantial window here sean the season kicks off september 5th you know a couple of years ago that kickoff was august 31st so that helps you out. A little bit. Um, you know, you're getting essentially from June 8th to September 5th, uh, that's almost a, a three month period right there. And, and to, to be able to really have all of July and kind of gauge things and, and see what works, what doesn't work, run into some issues, address those issues. You'd like to have as much of this ironed out when you get into August. So then you can really go in that incubated setting and focusing it on football. And that's where we're going to really see teams separate. I don't think there's any doubt about it. There's going to be a significant, a number of squads that come out in September and look absolutely awful because they aren't equipped to handle this, whether it's because the coaching staff was, new and not up to the task, or whether the players weren't accountable off campus, uh, Penn State's going to look to have all cylinders going. And I do think that July, late June buffer period is really big because we thought maybe these guys would have to get to campus and essentially turn around right away and start to focus on football. That won't have to be the case. It's it, it's some sort of normalcy. And I think Sandy said uh, right in the outset, sixty days was the key. I think
1: from from what we heard, it was more like six weeks. So I mean, now you're eclipsing both of those pretty much. So you've got an opportunity to to get in there and and get ready and ramp yourself up for camp. I think guys are going to come back out of shape, and I don't think that's a, a slight on them. I mean, guys don't have the equipment. To, you know, it's it's different when you're training with uh, with Dwight Galt than without Dwight Galt or virtual Dwight Galt, if you will. Which just sounds terrifying, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see the varying degrees of where these guys will come back. I mean, who that's going to help, who that's going to hurt, but, but in the long run, I mean, it, as long as they come back, I mean, you, you have time to sort of, um, put the wheels back on the track and go. Um, and, and I think that's the important thing. So I'm interested to see how, uh, some of these guys, uh, like the, the January enrollees, uh, you know, how they've adjusted, uh, because it's just a whole different animal when you're talking. I mean, guys work hard in high school. That's fine. They don't work anything like they work in college. So when these guys get there in January, they get in. They get the workouts. They get uh, you know the testing and all that kind of stuff. And 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 it's just a it's a culture shock, but it's also it's a crash course in how to work. And that's something that, you know, some of these guys then, and we don't know when the freshmen are going to the rest of the freshmen are going to be on campus. I've asked a couple of people about that. It's kind of a gray area right now. Um, but those guys that came in in January learn how to work. They go home. Do they have the equipment? Maybe, yes, no. Um, it, it, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. So you're going to have guys coming back uh, all over the roster that are in a different form of shape. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that just went home and sat on the couch and you know just got fat or something like that. These all these guys have all been working out. But you you know, and I know it's it's different. Uh, it's a different motivation. It's a different sort of uh, mindset when you're working out by yourself or working out with a high school trainer or something like that. So that's the biggest thing for me me um you know from a uh, from a training standpoint from an on field standpoint aside from the health the health stuff is the biggest thing obviously um but how do they adjust back to um, you know, that mindset, get back in that groove and go, because the sooner that they can do that, the sooner they can take care of the other things. And, and we talked to some players this week about, and they seem to be taking care of, you know, they, they seem to be focused on taking care of the other things, the meetings with Kirk Shiraka and all that other stuff. So um, it, it, it's going to be uh, sort of a winding road back. It's going to be very interesting to see how this staff handles it, but they've been prepping for, I think I said this back in like, April, they've been prepping for every sort of return that they could imagine. And this
0: kind of is is, is pretty ideal when you're looking at it. Going to be very interesting as the staff gauges where players are uh, physically. I don't know how much, you know, you can measure based on doing things remotely. Uh, obviously, they've been in sig- substantial and consistent communication with the strength and conditioning staff. And they've been given advice and they've been kind of given a, a playbook on on how to stay in shape and, and keep up their physical activity. And I'm sure from a nutrition standpoint, while being away from campus. Uh, but, you know, we'll see who maybe slipped through the cracks a little bit, who may have taken a, a period of time before they took it seriously enough, and you'll find out right away. I mean, uh, scientifically, they're going to do a lot of measurements on these guys, whether it's a body fat, fat percentage, and then just the test of when you get these guys moving around through some conditioning, who's huffing and puffing, who's in the corner puking, Going to be more than normal, I think, when guys are usually on campus in the summer. That's just going to be a part of this process. You mentioned the early enrollees certainly something to watch. The, the thing I am wondering is all these guys in the waiting game, Jair Brown, who, who we're going to hear from here on the episode, you know, he was supposed to be on campus in May. That didn't happen. As far as he knows, he's still kind of juggling when he is actually going to get to come to campus and not just come to campus, but, you know, have full access to things as a Penn State student athlete. And the same goes for a guy like Micah Bowens, the quarterback who, who we talked to here on the show a couple weeks ago. He's been in communication with Kirk Shiraka He's, you know, talking with some of the other quarterbacks. Uh, but he was supposed to be on campus here, so uh, it, it's not a normal freshman acclamation. You wonder how that's going to impact the, the staff's outlook on handing out that green light designation for guys who are ready to burn their redshirt status in, in 2020. It's that's going to be interesting. But I think maybe above all. Those first year players, the twenty seven newcomers—that's a huge number uh, from the twenty twenty recruiting class. To me, this earlier than expected start—that's where I think it it could really have the biggest impact—is with those new players. I, I agree, and that's uh like I said, you learn to work when you get there. It's
1: a it's a pretty quick crash course in galt, and that's uh an, <laughs> it's an interesting transition. It it works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for everyone. So. That that will be interesting at all. It will also be interesting um, how they return these guys. I mean, we, you, the number 75 is thrown out there, but it's also going to be phases and phases. So you're going to get uh, groups, smaller groups, um, you know, uh, 12 to 16 guys working out at a time. I mean, you, you look at the weight room capacity when you separate everybody and get give them their own space. Obviously, that's going to cut down. So it's not like you're going to see all 75 guys just pushed out once, uh, excuse me, pushed out at once. Uh, to get back. So it's going to work through it and it's going to be a slow return, it's going to be something, but it's going to be a return and that's the that's the biggest thing to take away from it and you know one step forward to you know making sense and and you know salvaging that trip to Blacksburg. No no disrespect intended for the other September uh uh September uh non-conference schedule, but you know that that trip to Blacks- Blacksburg looms large. They want to be on, on time. They want to be uh you know at their peak for the season as you mentioned earlier
0: motivation should not be lacking for anyone in Penn State football facilities players coaches staff the one thing you often hear among you know football lifers guys like James Franklin and, and all of his coaching assistants and you hear it too from these young players the, the one kind of you know the, the biggest issue with the lifestyle is maybe not enough time spent with, with family where you have some leisure time some downtime uh, it's always go 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 everything is is mapped out for you hour by hour day by day you're on the road recruiting uh, you're expected to be in this room that room this building class. That has all been, uh, you know, a largely pause for the last three months. Obviously, they're doing their best to replicate what the program would be doing from a virtual and remote standpoint. But, you know, it's completely changed. Guys have, have been able to spend a lot of time with mom, dad. Uh, their wife, their kids, maybe too much time for 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 some of those people involved. But you know, it. it everyone, I think, you're looking at not only just a, a a new appreciation. I think you and I and and this whole beat and everybody who covers athletics probably has a new appreciation uh, for what sports do for our lives and, and and what it brings because we've been without it now since March, fans included. But I think you know that really applies to Penn State coaches. That applies to Penn State players. They should also have some recharged batteries mentally the uh, you'd hope they would be in the right place getting back at it here, uh, in early June. And, and there will be, I think, a, a gradual adjustment period may take them by surprise how, how maybe, you know, some things are a bit more challenging than they, than they were before coronavirus shut things down. I'm finding that day by day that, that my perception has adjusted in some ways, strengths in, in one way. And, and sometimes it's, a, it's a weakness in, in others, but, um, I do think, Sean, that when you look at this Penn State team, they are equipped from a leadership standpoint in that locker room to really put themselves in a good spot compared to maybe uh, many programs across college football who are going to be maybe a little bit listless um, for some time. I, I agree with you. Uh, I,
1: you know, Leadership is a spot that you've looked at this team over the last couple of years, and sometimes it's been very strong, sometimes not so much. And what we've watched over the last week or so you've seen those leaders you know step up and use their platform we talked to PJ Mustafer and Sean Clifford this week um, but even beyond that I think there's some strong leadership qualities in this group and I think that that guys will flock to one another Shaka Tony's been pointed out Lamont Wade's been very vocal um, Antonio Shelton's been a guy that's always been there on the defense and you just can go on and on about guys who have you know stepped up and assumed that role and that's really what you need with everybody in their own spot um, you know there, there's some guys in state college that's fine. But with everybody spread all, you know, across the country or wherever they're from, um, you know, you're going to need accountability, you're going to need leadership. And that's, you know. Some of that can come from the coaching staff. Some of that can come from the strength staff because the strength staff can have, you know, a little bit more contact with them. But ultimately, it's going to be on those guys and on their teammates to, to keep each other accountable. I mean, especially with these, these older guys that have, you know, one year left or whatever. I mean, that's, uh, that's a big part of that. So I, I agree with you. I think the leadership is going to sort of uh, bubble to the top and we're going to see what they've got. And it's, you know, that's one of those silver linings that
0: you could see benefiting them on the field this fall. 2018 seemed to be a year where it took, uh, it, it was a, a bit of a, a trying time for them in terms of trying to cultivate and figure out where that leadership was in the locker room. It was kind of a, a transitive time for the locker room with a lot of the the young, top-rated recruits, and, and then some of the out, uh, players who ultimately transferred out of the program, who came into the program at a, at a different time in its trajectory. Last year, it was a lot about that young, young leadership. You had sophomores, redshirt sophomores as captains in that Mixed and and steadily, that really came together. Obviously, they didn't lose a game until November, so so that was a big big help and confidence booster. Now I think they have a locked in leadership in a lot of spots in a way that I, I don't think they've had since the 2017 season. Um, so right now, I think considering what we're all experiencing uh, outside of the sports realm, whether it's the pandemic whether it's the social justice reform and the protests that, that we see in, in cities large and small across this country. It's a great time to have someone uh, keeping that rudder steady, uh, keeping players on course, making sure everyone has that focus uh, collectively. And, and, you know, we, we got a chance to talk to a couple guys about that this week, starting off with P.J. Mustafer. I want folks to hear this because um, it has been a, 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 just an incredible past week or so in America the way uh, we have seen people of all walks of life chime in and, and hoping for changes that can can make our society better long term uh, raise up uh, a, a new platform for a lot of people who have not had it and PJ Mustafer understands that being an athletic uh, you know standout especially at this level a power five football, maybe in the NFL someday, it gives him a voice. It gives his teammates a voice. Uh, and and just listen to this clip here. It gives a good indication of, one, how Penn State is handling it as a group, and then, two, what it means to someone like P.J. Muslifer personally to, to show that he is more than just the guy who will go out there and chase a quarterback.
2: We've all met, um, not just the leadership council. We've all met. We had an open discussion for Everybody in the Penn State family, not just uh, players and coaches, but the staff as well. You know, we've all we all sat down uh, this past weekend and and just opened the floor up to everybody uh, who wants to to say something about this and, and get everything off their chest. And I think it was it was really beneficial for us because we were able to take a step back and listen to everyone. And again, it's, it's important that we do it here because if we can't do it in our locker room, then it won't happen anywhere else. So we definitely did have discussion and, um, you know, I think discussion during this time is very important moving forward. When you're a African American uh, football player at Penn state, um, you, you represent so much. You represent your, your family's name. You represent the university, you represent the guys in the locker room, but you also represent uh, young african-american kids who aspire to be in our positions uh down the road so 20 years down the road i don't i don't want kids to feel like they don't have a voice i don't want them to feel like they can't say uh what they want to say um you know we we do have to walk a, a tight rope of of what we say but at the end of the day you know we are able to voice our opinions and we and, and we can do so so uh you know that's that's what's important for me when when going through all this i I want to be a representative of of what to do for kids who who want to be in my position and I want to I want to do it the correct way
0: Dating back to his recruitment, and you got to remember, P.J. Mustaford was on Penn State's radar going back to his freshman year in high school. His older brother was a captain at Notre Dame. Um, He has always kind of oozed that personality of a future team captain. I don't know if it'll happen this year. There's a bunch of candidates even just in that defensive line room. Shaka Tony, I would expect to be a captain. Antonio Shelton probably makes a strong case as well. But uh, certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and Sean, you've dealt with PJ for a long time during his, uh, his Penn State career and, and going back uh, several years before that. He has lived up to expectations as a person at Penn State. I think our listeners could hear it there. And, and I think 2020, a lot of us anticipate he's going to live up to, to that you know, billing as a top tier defensive tackle uh, coming out of high school as he steps into that starting role. He was essentially a, a third starter there last year. But High expectations for PJ Mustard for personally for me going into his junior season. I followed PJ back when I
1: followed Sam Mustafer, who went to Notre Dame and played center and had a really good career uh, for Notre Dame and what a fantastic family. And that's something that these coaches have set out looking for is, you know, you, you, you're not going to get them all, but you, you add these fantastic families together and that produces something special. And I think we've seen that with PJ and you listen to that clip and and you can really tell that it's been something that ha- has been weighing on his mind, but the the way that he said it, it really just put it, put it in a lot of perspective. But back onto the field, PJ, a very important player for Penn State, uh, wrote this week, you know, in the, in the, you know, following up on Damian Barber's transfer, where things are going to stand at defensive tackle, and, you know, it's, he's even more important than you think, uh, so you've got him and Shelton as the starters, and, and PJ's got to take that leap, and they think that he can, I mean, he's fantastic uh, talent, a naturally talented kid, got great size, um, you know, put him at the three technique, and maybe be a little bit more disruptive than we've seen, um, you know. in the last uh, two seasons at, at defensive tackle, uh, or, excuse me, last season since Kevin Givens left. So, get him in the backfield. Uh, you know, Shelton can hold up blockers. Mustafa can get back to the quarterback. And I think uh, you might see the sack numbers come up, but I think you'll see uh, those disruptive plays go up. They think that he can be an all Big Ten player. They think that he can be a kid that, uh, you know, is on draft boards at this time next year and, you know, hope doesn't have too good of a season and see, see there <laughs> being draft boards next year. Um, but, you know, he's a really talent naturally talented kid. Um, just so much going for him right now and, uh, you know, on and off the field and, and really is a guy that you like to build your program around. Uh, did not get that red shirt year. You know, he, he came in and played as a true freshman, which defensive tackles really don't do. I was looking at, uh, you know, the, the board this week and you see Cole Brevard – um, Fatour Mamalba on campus in, in in the spring. I don't think they're going to play. You're going to bring in Kaziah Izzard. I don't think he's going to play. So very tough thing to do to get on the field as a true freshman. Mustafer was able to do that, provide some quality reps, and really outsnapped uh, Shelton last year. Um, so I think he's ready to take that next step. I think he does take that next step um, in terms of projecting those guys. Is you know it's it's a fairly safe estimation that he's going to you know take up his level of effectiveness. So. Uh, really interested to see how how Mustafer progresses this year. I think he's, like I said, his kid's got a lot going for him. And uh, I think he can translate
0: to, that to the field as a full-time starter in the fall. Sean Spencer, now with the New York Giants, uh, referred to P.J. Mustapha as the, the only true freshman defensive tackle that he had uh, true confidence in sending out onto the field as a regular member of their rotation uh, since he got to Penn State so I mean that's a huge compliment one guy that he routinely brought up I heard it from Spencer at least two or three times uh early on with PJ's career was Austin Johnson he he compared those two uh, says he felt like that there was a lot in common there Johnson ended up uh, leaving campus early second round draft pick in 2016 he just signed a free agent contract with the Giants uh, rejoining um Sean Spencer there but you know I think you may be onto something. I think P.J. Mustafa uh, may be a year away from making the lead to the NFL with a strong season, and, and that may be kind of a, a name out of left field for some folks. But you know this kid was a top five defensive tackle prospect. He has re- accrued a lot of collegiate reps, and I expect he's going to go in there. One thing that they were lacking last year defensively, it felt like, was uh, a consistent and and a, a truly intimidating pass rush from the interior. Robert Windsor's sack numbers dropped. That's not really what you're going to get out of Antonio Shelton, and and I think PJ Must for and you mentioned this. I think that's where you see maybe the boom happen is him being uh, you know more disruptive in that pass rush because that is something that he brings to the table uh, that, that we haven't really had a chance to see at at a, at a great deal. He had a sack in in the Cotton Bowl, so maybe that kind of sets the sets a new stage for what he he may be able to do in twenty twenty. And, and you're not going to
1: have you know the centerpiece of your pass rush be the defensive tackle. That's just not how it works. And I think the linebackers get more involved. Of course, we talk about those defensive ends all the time, but if you can have somebody, I mean, just look at the Iowa. A game last year um, what Windsor was able to do um, it just re- right in the middle of everything and how much that changed what Iowa had to do and that's not necessarily I mean he didn't even get home uh, you know every time he was back there so you can have that guy that that is disruptive and you know really with with Shelton and Windsor last year you sort of had two one technique type players um, even if it wasn't the case um, now all of a sudden I think you got a little bit more athleticism a little bit more length and and when those guys can play off each other like like we saw Austin Johnson and, and Anthony Zettel um, the last couple of or a couple of years ago, um, that's when they can be most effective. And I'm um, I'm excited to see PJ's progress. I'm excited to see you know I don't know that Shelton's going to put up the numbers because of the role that they're asking him to play, um, but that that certainly can be um, you know one of those situations where the the roster could look better than you think. And then you bring uh, Fred Hansard into that one technique role behind Shelton. You've got Judge Culpepper. You're not sure what you're going to get with him, but you think he's had a good offseason. You. Think he can give you some quality reps, and then Hakeem Beeman, who, whom, whom everyone is excited about. Uh, so I think that defense. Have temp- we
0: mentioned Hakeem Beeman on the podcast? It's the
1: first first time, long time. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it, it's one of those. It, it, there's development left to go there, yes. But I think there's there's a lot to work with, and if you have five guys, and maybe you throw in a sixth, uh, a Devon Ellis or somebody like that, and maybe you play around with. Excuse me. What they did with uh, Yitor Gross Matos last year, maybe slide an Adisa Isaac to the inside and make him a pass rusher on certain uh, packages and things like that. I think you've got just you've got a lot to work with. And with the numbers there, <laughs> you hope that you have a lot to work with. And they started uh, th- that started to work itself out this week with Barber. And I mean, there's just uh, there's a lot of defensive linemen. So I mean, you
0: you want to have something to work with there. And what do all those guys have in common? They've never taken a practice rep under defensive line coach John Scott. One of the interesting storylines as the new staff members try to catch up and get up to speed this summer with their new players. Uh, check out PJ Mustaver's entire Q&A, virtual Q&A from this week up on lines 247com It's worth your time, about 20 minutes, and, and I think you'll come away extremely impressed about having him inside this Nittany Lions locker room. Uh, moving on to Sean Clifford. Quarterback who is very much viewed as the make or break component to Penn State's college football playoffs. Anytime you see Penn State in the national conversation mentioned as a threatening Ohio State in the Big Ten or, or breaking through to the college football playoff, we talked about last episode, Brandon Marcello, 24-7 sports national analyst, saying the winner of that Ohio State-Penn State game gets the championship game. Anything like that seems to circle back and say, If Sean Clifford can take a step forward, if it works out with Kirk Shiraka, and he looks more like Tanner Morgan in 2020. Um, So I think Clifford is well aware of this. We talked to him this week as well. He Talked about keeping sharp as a quarterback, uh, and, and with that entire group, really, with, with Kirk Shiraka. They're trying to implement different ways to, to keep things fresh, um, as they're working back and forth with Zoom chats and, and all that stuff. One thing he came, said he, he came away from is you know, he, he thought his football IQ was high, he thought he knew, he knew a lot about offensive schemes, but Kirk Shiraka has challenged him to take that to a different level. He said it's very, very impressive, uh, the breadth. Of knowledge that that Kirk Shiraka brings to the table as he implements uh, his adjustments to this offensive attack.
1: I compared Shiraka on the board last week to Bob Shoup and I think that's a you know when you talk about uh, fiery coaches or guys that you can see being head coaches and things like that it really doesn't fit that bill and Shoup sort of the same way just sort of that uh, you know the the more intellectual approach the the, the details and the everything that comes with that stereotype, if we could throw that in there, Uh, I think Kirk Kirk Shiraka has. And that's something I think this offense needs, Uh, you know, with the instability that they've had over there, with the, um, you know, the lack of consistent production that they've had at certain spots. And, you know, with the improvement that Sean Clifford needs to show this year, and I don't think there's anybody debating that, that, you know, this is a good good fit. So I'm excited to see that. Was disappointed to hear Sean Clifford uh, could not recall Alex Trebek's name. I think that's... uh, Mm. You know, it's kind of an affront to him. Red so flag. As we're talking, QBI, <laughs> yeah, yeah, QBIQ, uh, which is very tough to say. Um, that's uh, oh boy. But no, they've been having uh, d- different film sessions. They've been having quizzes and things like that. And that's really all you can do right now. But if you can find ways to be creative and make it stick, I mean, that's uh, that's sort of what distance learning is all about. So. I think that's been, uh, you know, they seem happy with the progress that they've been able to make in the offseason. You didn't get the spring, um, and I get that, and that's probably going to show itself at some point uh, early in the season, but nobody else really got the spring either, so that's, uh, you know, I guess you, you can put them on level uh, footing there. Now, when you get them back to campus, you get a chance to get in front of them and let that information sink in a little bit more, and I think that's, uh, it's going to be baby steps, and I wrote it yesterday in, in our trimmings. Um Sean Clifford is, is not going to be Tanner Morgan overnight, and this is going to be a, a situation where he's going to have to uh, learn it out on the field. He's going to have to uh, take those steps, and Tanner Morgan was not what we saw from Tanner Morgan last year overnight. I was watching some uh, some some Minnesota stuff yesterday, and man, they were... They were dead in the water. I think it was Fresno State to open the season last year, and you know that's uh, he made a fantastic throw, and Ottman Bell made a great catch, and all of a sudden things turn around. But uh, he was uh, not—he didn't come out of—he didn't come out of the gate last year looking like the Tanner Morgan that beat Penn State a couple of months later. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting transition. Clifford, I think, has a lot of the tools necessary to get where he needs to be,
0: Um, but it's it's going to take a while. Can we just talk about Tanner Morgan's 2018 to 2019 jump real quick? Uh, He went from 1,400 passing yards, nine touchdowns, and six interceptions uh, to 3,200 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. So 21 more touchdown throws and only one more interception. Uh, what a huge season for, for him and, and Kirk Sciarocca has been quick to point out that Clifford brings more athleticism to the table so it's going to be you know certainly interesting and, and we're, we're all curious to see how the quarterback will be utilized as a runner quickly before I forget going back to, to Kirk Sharaka's demeanor mentality he's had a ton of success and, and more recently in the national spotlight at Minnesota before that um you know at the at the um this Group of five level, um, but going back 12 years ago, I spent a year working with him on Greg Shiano's staff in 2008 back at Rutgers. He was two doors down the hallway from our recruiting office, and he was coaching quarterbacks. He was a co-offensive coordinator for the Scarlet Knights then. Same exact demeanor, like uh, same exact person I I, I interviewed uh, at the uh, at Beaver Stadium during his introductory press conference is the same guy I encountered 12 years ago. And obviously, his accolades have grown. and, and, and But I think you're right. He is kind of that even keel guy who likes to talk football, loves watching film, wants sharp work out of his quarterbacks. And at the end of the day, that's enough for him. And that's what you kind of like to hear uh, in terms of uh, when you hire an offensive coordinator or somebody, someone who sounds like they're going to get the job done and they'll be happy to to be situated with that job and not really kind of looking around for, for the next big stepping stone. So that's what you like to hear, I think, as a Penn State fan. And his body of
1: work is is something that gives you some confidence. I mean, he's, he's bringing in his system and that's, uh, again, that's a criticism I had of Ronnie, or I guess, uh, an apprehension that I had of Ronnie when they brought him on board is he's running Joe Moorhead system. And when you're not the guy that comes up with the system and nobody, you know, very few people have their own exact system. You've got a lot of, you've got this here and this here and tie it all together and make it work. But when you're not running that system that you put together, um, whether it's original or not, I mean, it's, it's tough to make those decisions on the fly. And I think that's really where Penn state was hurt over the last two years. So, confident once again that Kirk Shirak is going to bring in what he's bringing in make those decisions on the fly and go with it and we've seen that we saw that at miss so, I mean do you remember last year last August uh Zach Anakstad, uh the quarterback that was from IMG he started uh the year before started 2018 I'm not sure who started more games as a but, walk-on right Yeah, it was a walk-on yeah. he, he blew out his knee I believe it was in camp and you're thinking well they're screwed. I mean there there's nothing there there's nothing's gonna happen. And he went and turned that around. Now different situation at Penn State, but I mean you you saw what he was able to cultivate out of what he had. Tanner Morgan has never been a, a can't miss you know NFL prospect type quarterback. He's developed him into that, and and I think that that's something that you know, is is a very big notch on his belt. And, you know, sometimes we overplay that hand, but what he did with, with Morgan was, was pretty fantastic. And, you know, a lot of that comes back on Morgan, just as a lot of that's going to come back on Sean Clifford. Um, think back to that Iowa game that, that we referenced earlier with Windsor. I mean, you, you remember that first series that he was in? I mean, he looked terrified. He looked absolutely out of place. He looked, uh, you know, just like he he had no business being out on that field, um, you know, eventually settled in and did some some nice things in that game. But really, was was in over his head, and I think that's something that he has to control, capture, and go with. You mentioned that mentality that he's been trying to work on, uh, you know, the chess master or whatever he's working with. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, Some of that's natural. Some of it can be learned. But but a lot of it's going to be, you know, all of it's going to be on Sean Clifford. And that's that's the big step that he has to take. So, um, you know, I still have questions. I think everybody logically should have questions. I mean, uh, there's some people that think that, hey, Kirk Chirac is here. Snap that finger. You got Tanner Morgan under there boom, uh, you know, national championship aspirations, but it's going to be a lot on Clifford. It's gonna be a lot on his shoulders. And, you know, this is, uh, this is not an ideal situation that we're in, but it is the situation that we're in. So you break out the whiteboard with him, you break out, uh, every sort of, uh, skull session that you can get with him, uh, with the allowable hours that they have right now. And, and you hope that that's stuff that resonates and plays out on the
0: field in the fall. And beyond him, you know, perhaps even more importantly, look, Kirk Chirac has had in several months now to to break down in detail every rep of Sean Clifford's redshirt sophomore season. What he doesn't have is is very much tape on Will Levis uh, doing things that a quarterback would do. A lot of what he saw from Levis when he looks back at the film last year is going to be him running like a fullback. And uh, you know, if this kid's going to be a quarterback at Penn State, your starting quarterback down the road, uh, you are going to need to figure some things out with him as a passer. And he has almost no you know evidence in front of him for what. Roberson, Johnson, Bowens are going to be, that's going to be important and, and really a huge storyline. I think as he gets these guys on a practice field into the summer, something we'll be keeping an eye on uh, Clifford's mentality. You you referenced it here, chess, chess master. He's dealing with, he seems to think that's going to help him uh, read uh, with his reads. Uh, just in, I think in general, slow things down uh, from a decision-making standpoint for himself. But I think in his mentality as a leader it's a little bit different cuz last year the question was as as Stevens hit the exit door and McSorley was gone such a great leader McSorley was the question with Clifford was you know are you ready to fill those shoes are you going to be a voice in the locker room and we you know we would hear anecdotes and we'd take what we could uh, you weren't sure. Uh, and then you would see him in games and he would be really jumpy. And and it looked like it hurt him in some of these games where he was trying to be too rah-rah and talking to opposing fans on the field before the game and, and all that different stuff. And he just seems more at ease, I think, because he's got that foundational year already underneath him. Um, you know, he's another year into this program, four-year guy. Just feel like they're in a good spot with him commanding that huddle at this point and that's important as they have a different voice now on the sideline with their offensive coordinator um, the other thing that was really cool from that conversation with Sean have a story up about it on lines247.com where you can also see the entire interview with Sean Clifford little brother Liam Clifford Hanging around the house. Neither of them have really anywhere to go during quarantine. Um, So they have spent a lot of time together just working as a quarterback receiver combo. And they very well may do that in 2021 in a Penn State uniform. Liam Clifford committed to the 2021 class since October. um, Got the offer last summer. And I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Sean Clifford, you know, he'd love to have a, a season that makes him think about NFL possibilities down the line. Um, we'll see where it goes for him. But if he's back for his fifth year, Sean, yeah, we're talking about something that Liam Clifford is going to need to be up to the task. But wouldn't it be quite a story if, you know, uh, an eventual orchestrated drive down the field for Penn State that involves both of them was in some way, shape or form helped by this time they have spent together? working out together, running routes for Sean and just being you know being brothers who probably haven't spent this much time together uh since Sean was back home in Cincinnati in, in 2016 17 well I, I wouldn't write
1: the shell for that story yet uh you know just keep oh, it in no, the back. Uh, but uh, yeah. no, I mean that, that would obviously be pretty cool I talked to Liam a little bit last week and we talked about the training and and we talked about uh you know every day he's he's with his brother and that's something that can rub off and you know does that uh, compute into him coming in and playing as a true freshman not Necessarily, but you know, I I, I like you. Know, I've said, I think I've said this before. I like Liam Clifford a lot more than than people you know have talked about him because they've talked about him as Sean's brother. Other than this receiver, and we we both saw him at camp, and I was watching, as I mentioned, some Minnesota yesterday, and you know they they do a lot of things, uh, or Kirk Rocket did a lot of things. With the big receivers that he had out of the slot. And I think that that's a a spot where Liam Clifford could really help them out. I mean, you talk about uh, Chris Ottman Bell, 6'1", 215. I mean, that's probably about where Liam's going to be when he's a, you know, when he's a a college player and running slant, you know, deep slants and things like that. And and I think you can see, uh, I'll say this. If you put on the Minnesota tape last year and you're Liam Clifford, you'll like what you see because you've got an opportunity to uh, fill some of those roles that you've seen him put those players that are similar to you in that position. So i um, excited to see his progress. Uh was hoping to catch him at camp this year to see which strides because the 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 leaps and bounds that he's made from uh, 2018 when we saw him at camp as a, you know, a curly-haired little quarterback to playing receiver last year, hanging in there with those guys at that camp and and really exceeding some of those guys at that camp to where we saw him in the fall where he was a go-to guy for for a terrific program out in Cincinnati. I just think he continues to get
0: better and, and he's one of those guys that we continue to overlook in this class. Big numbers last year for Liam Clifford, 77 catches for 1180 yards and 14 touchdowns as a junior there at St. Xavier. And and by the way, he can run run. I I don't know if we have an official time on this, Sean, but he's he's four five range, maybe a, a dip below that. He you know, he he was timed early in his career, and I don't trust
1: this gun at all. And I know Sean really doesn't trust this gun at all because it was in the four fours. Um, you know, he came to camp later that year, ran in the four sixes. He's been in the four fives for Penn State at camp. So, I mean, he can run. I don't know that he he can run, run. He's got, (laughs) he's got good enough speed and he's got good body control and he can, you know, really, uh, you know, sort of play like a slot, even though he's not shaped like a slot, if that makes sense. And and that's another thing from watching Minnesota is the slot that Kirk Scirocco has used, um, you know, during his time there. It does not look like K.J. Hamler, and it's not the shifty, you know, quick outs and all that kind of stuff. It, it's working the ball across the middle. It's very important position in terms of the RPO because that's really where it opens with those safeties uh, making their reads and reactions, and you can go to uh, to those guys. So I think, uh, you know, you're going to see a different slot, and, uh, and I can see – Jahan Dotson playing there, but I could I could also see Pat Frymuth in that in that role. You know, you could also see some of these bigger guys working around in there. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this works out. But I think you've got uh, you've got a body type in Liam Clifford uh, and a you know a smart kid who who has a little bit of an advantage in terms of learning that offense because he can sit in on those meetings and really just kind of looking over brother Shuts like my three-year-old looking over my six-year-old's uh, shoulder at a Zoom call. I mean, there's nothing, uh, you know,
0: hopefully he, he absorbs some of that and hopefully Liam Clifford does the same. From a future playmaker on offense for Penn State to an incoming defensive back, we get to an interview in just a moment with Jair Brown. Going to be on campus as soon as he can, as soon as he gets the word and join a secondary. And he has ambitions to make an impact right away. You'll hear that interview in a moment. And stick around after that. We'll have our five-star mailbag. We'll talk about a potential Early commitment and emphasis on early that may involve Penn State, and another 2021 wide receiver offer to know that's all right around the corner. First, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool
1: from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car
0: insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We get a in-depth look at a newcomer with the Penn State football program right now. Jair Brown, a safety prospect coming into Penn State after a couple of very, very productive seasons at Lackawanna College. It continues the pipeline that we've seen Penn State establish with that program. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's get to know Jair. Welcome onto the show. Thanks again for giving us the time here as you're getting ready to enroll on campus.
3: Oh, man, I love that. I love it. Thank you for having me.
0: You are in that waiting game right now. I guess at the end of the day, we're all in a waiting game right now, but you were supposed to be on campus already.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was supposed to have been there, you know, but, you know, I'm being patient, staying humble, and staying ready.
0: How does Penn State kind of manage that situation when things are getting delayed, and how is that all being balanced?
3: You know, it's definitely tough. It's a tough thing to do, but, you know, adversity comes, and, um you can't you can't back down from it. You just have to fight. And uh, right now we're working as a team, as a, um organization, trying to get this thing on a, on a roll. Are you home
0: in New Jersey right now? Yep. Okay. And then that's where your story, as far as we know it, begins. Uh, going to Trenton Central High School. I used to live over in Mercer County before I started covering Penn State, so I know that area quite well. You didn't get a, any offers coming out of high school. Can you take us through the journey a little bit? was this a situation where you simply weren't really viewed a lot from an athletic standpoint? Was there any kind of academic issues involved? How did you end up being someone who now going to Penn state, playing for a potential national championship contender versus a couple of years ago, not getting offered by anybody?
3: You know, um, my journey was amazing. You know, I wouldn't have wanted to do it any other way Um, coming out of high school. You know, I had, I had decent grades, you know, but My grades depended on my SAT score, you know. uh, I took the SAT about three, four times, and I just couldn't get the score, you know. So uh, that's when I had to go to junior college. I had to take my time, so junior college. I wasn't recruited out of high school uh, as much as I expected to be recruited, you know. I was always one of the best players on my team from a freshman coming up, and um, things just didn't work out in my favor, you know. Like, wanna came in uh, August of my senior year, uh, Coach Reese, he recruited me, brought me up, and uh, that's how this whole thing started.
0: Lackawanna, if you're going to go the junior college route, especially if you're coming out of New Jersey at the regional level, not many better landing spots across the country, really. Lackawanna, one of the premier uh, junior college programs in America, as we'll get to in a second. It's been very good to Penn State over recent years. Was it always you were going to pursue football after high school? Did any part of you say, you know, maybe I should just look for a normal college life and 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 maybe leave football behind, or was it always I need to figure out if football is a real option?
3: Yeah, I always I ne- I needed to play football. You know, football was always a passion since I was six years old playing flag football. I always looked at to the look to be a part of the college, uh, Division One playing surface. You know, um, yeah, uh, even when I didn't have any school to go to. That summer of my senior year, you know, because uh, Lackawanna came late. They came like late, I say July, you know, I think I had to report July 29th. They caught me July 24th. Wow. You know, <laughs> so that was like that was like a gift from God because I didn't have anywhere to go. I was stuck. I was, I was actually planning to take a semester off and try to find a place to go.
0: So you were within a week of it being August and you were kind of going to be at a crossroads and not really have a solution.
3: Yeah, I was stuck, man. I couldn't – I didn't know where to go. You know, I actually – um, I had Montclair. Montclair, I was talking to my Montclair coach, you know, but that was somewhere where I didn't want to go at. And, you know, I was just sitting there like, yeah, I'm stuck, man. I don't know where to go. And, you know, Lackawanna came my way.
0: Uh, all due respect to Montclair. It's, it's actually a school that I visited when I was looking for, for the right college fit coming out of high school in New Jersey. That's, what, Division three football, correct?
3: Yes, Yes.
0: Okay. So, again, that was less than two years ago. Now we're talking about you playing Big Ten football after being a junior college All-American. When you look in the rearview mirror and you don't have to look very far to to remember this time in your life to where you are now. Has it been just almost astonishing?
3: Oh Man, it's been amazing. You know, like, um, you know, most people, you know, when they when they pray to God or something like that, they can't can't really see results, you know, or they can't see him making a way for them, you know. And my whole life I've just been seeing him create these different paths and opportunities for me, and it's been amazing.
2: Now when you look
0: ahead at what you've got cooking at Penn State, You are joining a group of 25 plus players in that 2020 class, but many of them had scholarship offers as sophomores in high school, and they spent most of their high school career being pursued by Penn State and other teams in the Big Ten and across America. Is that something that, you know, you look around a locker room coming into a program like Penn State, and you're going to kind of feel like that underdog because your background just doesn't match up with a lot of those experiences?
2: Yeah,
3: I definitely think about that all the time, you know, but that's what drives me. It's always been what drove me. You know, I come in, I'm the underdog, everyone looking at me like uh, the unrecruited kid for real, you know, Uh, so I come in with that type of hunger, like I should have been recruited.
0: Let's talk about where you really earned that opportunity at Penn State. And I, and I was there, uh, and I got a chance to see you at camp last June working for Brent Pry, for for Tim Banks, for the defensive staff, of course, James Franklin, watching closely. Did you feel, sense the moment when you rolled up to campus that day that it was either going to be a really good day with Penn State or it was going to be maybe your last trip ever to Penn State?
3: Um, I felt like – I've always felt like if I put myself on a platform, I can prevail, you know. And – I, when I got there, I just had a feeling, you know, I was going to go there and I was going to do what I needed to do and I was going to come out with a um, scholarship. And uh, that's just was the mindset I always had. Just need to get on that platform. And When I got there, I did what I had to do.
0: I know you spoke with, with our 24-7 sports team after you committed, kind of went over that process. But for our listeners, I know that had to be an emotional moment for you. Can you talk us through the process that Penn State went through presenting that offer?
3: Oh man! Um, <laughs> it still sounds uh, it emotional for you. Yeah, 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 it was definitely emotional. You know, I come from a small city where uh, I I, don't, I can't even tell you who went Division One from this city or played at the Big Ten football. It's just it's it was like overwhelming at the point. You know, um, one of the first people in my city to ever play big time football like this. So. You no, know, it was definitely emotional. I was in the uh, room with Coach Franklin and all the other people in the coaching staff, and and he was breaking it down and telling me what was expected and all this stuff. And you know, if you if you ask them yourself, I I was just looking. I was shocked, and they was like, "Yo, you gonna smile, do anything?" And I'm like, "Man, like y'all don't know what I've been through to get here. Like, it's just a blessing, you know."
0: trust me, those are the those are the kind of moments that the coaches remember, too. It's a little bit different than going up to a kid and giving him his 25th offer before his junior year of high school than it is doing what they did with you. Now, was that your first power five offer uh, in general? Okay, was it hard for you to resist almost committing on the spot?
3: Yeah, um, you know, I always because I told you I was uh, I wasn't highly recruited in high school, you know, barely recruited at all. You know, um, and I always told myself the first school who, who put their trust in me, uh, I will go there, you know, I'm committed to them. Just um, I believe that.
0: And you made a, a, a trip back to campus one more time. Was that with your mother?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Once you crossed that off the list, you were ready. Yeah. Okay. Of course, you still had a season to play at Lackawanna after that commitment. It turned into an All-American season for you guys. National championship contending team with the Falcons last year. Congratulations on all that success. You came in hot as well as a freshman, five interceptions back in 2018. So obviously, you proved yourself at Lackawanna. Was it a smooth process for you? Were there some bumps on the road there?
3: Uh, definitely some bumps in a row, you know, but I never had any kind of anxiety towards it, you know like I said before um uh, as long as I can get on the stage I can perform you know and when I got to Lackawanna from day one when I got there from camp I performed and, you know I came out on top and I went from being in the bottom of the bottom of the depth chart I'm talking I was like we had colors and I was way at the bottom. I was like six seventh on the depth chart in the DBs and you know I never looked at it as no type of disrespect anything I just looked at it as if I had to prove myself and uh that's what I did I did what I was supposed to do
0: what does Lackawanna do so well there in Scranton to ensure that they are each year not just uh, successful on the field but also successful in producing players heading to the power five level how would you describe what you saw those two years
3: um one thing I picked out from Lackawanna, what they do very well, they hold each other account- accountable. You know, everybody, if you're a part of the team or even a part of the school, you know, everybody's getting held accountable for, for something. So as long as you hold your players accountable and hold them to that high standard, you know, they're going to give you their best. They're going to be the best players they can be for you. And uh, that's, that's what I did for Coach Duda and the rest of the staff. Your
0: freshman year in 2018, a couple of your teammates end up at Penn State. Uh, Jaquan Brisker looking to push to be a starting safety this year for the Nittany Lions. We saw him a lot in the field last year. And then offensive lineman Anthony Wiggin, who took a red shirt last year, he's got a couple more years of eligibility to make his move on the offensive line at Penn State. What was it like to see them go through the process? And, and, and does that kind of boost your confidence, seeing teammates at Lackawanna get that opportunity and then get their chance on the stage and play big-time
2: football?
3: Yeah, yeah, it definitely definitely boosts my confidence. Uh, I talked to Jaquan. We Me and Jaquan have been very close since I came to Lackawanna, you know. And we talked about it when we were at Lackawanna. We still talk about it to this day, like, the opportunity that's been presented to us, um, how we went from these kids Well, how he went, not me yet, but how he went from this kid playing in front of 200, if that, many people, you know, 200, 300 people at his game to 100,000 people at his game, you know, him performing on that high stage. Now,
0: did you make it to a Penn State game last fall?
3: Oh, yeah, I've been to about three of them. I've been to the Whiteout my first game.
0: There you go. Well, the whiteout was <laughs> – the whiteout's your first game. You, you talked about not being recruited out of high school. How do you wrap your mind around what you saw and, and envision envisioning yourself in that situation in the future?
3: Oh, man. My first thing I said when I seen – I think when I was there, it was 110,000 people attending, you know. Uh, I was just like, how can you not perform in front of this crowd with so much passion and ambition for this for these players, you know. How can you not give it to all every game? You know, and that's how I was looking at it. You know, this is this is more than a privilege. Like this is this is God right here. You know, God created this opportunity for a lot of these players. You know, I want to take advantage of it, not one bit.
0: You're gonna have a hundred new teammates to get to know in the next couple of years, but how important is it to know that Jaquan Brisker is in that defensive backfield? at the safety position a year into his career in state college. How big is that for you to, to have him waiting for you on campus when you arrive?
3: Oh man, we, we, we talk about this too, every day. You know, we always, we always pushed each other. When we was at Lackawanna, it was always like a, um a friendly competition between me and him. You know, we always wanted to push each other to our limits. We always felt like we were better than what we was doing. You know, if, if one person was slacking, we stayed on top of each other. So, I really feel like us two together, you know, this is this is gonna be a trip. It's gonna be a great trip for both of us, and and we're gonna drive and we're gonna push each other to become the best we can be.
0: From a position standpoint, how long have you played safety, and 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 why do you think you're a fit there, and and what does Coach Banks say that he sees uh, that that really shine in you when they put that offer on the table?
3: I'm a playmaker. You know, I started playing safety. My junior year of high school, you know, and I always been able, I've always been a smart one, you know. I always been smart and always been uh, savvy, you know. And uh, I can make plays, man. I, I, I've always been a playmaker. If you ask Coach Duda or any one of them, they label me as a playmaker. Uh, and right now, that's what we need. Coach Banks said we need somebody to make plays out there, and I feel like I'm the best guy for the job.
0: Now, it's a little bit tricky to figure out what's going to happen here this summer for Penn State football for you when anyone's going to be on the field and actually going through drills and and working toward the season. But what are your personal expectations for the 2020 year? As I said, kind of a mixed result situation for your former teammates last year with Wigan getting the red shirt and Brisker playing quite a bit of football. Where do you see yourself?
3: I see me coming in and, you know, and and being that spark. You know that's part everyone needs. You know, coming in, starting a uh, kid that was not even thought about. You know, of starting in the lineup. You know, people seeing me come out there and make plays and and, and take the team to a, another level on the defensive side.
0: So you have your sights set on on doing another depth chart climb, getting your way into yeah. a first team status. Absolutely. And obviously that means it could come at the expense of your friend, your close friend, Jaquan Brisker. So there's some competition there as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. Like We don't even look at it as that. We just look at it as if you're doing your job. You're doing what you're supposed to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do.
0: Sure, sure. And and I'd imagine that special teams is also going to be an important opportunity for you to, to get yourself on the field and show that you're dependable as well. Absolutely. Coming in with you out of Lackawanna, second straight year where two players signed from the program. Norval Black, an, another player who earned his opportunity at a Penn State camp last summer. One of five new wide receivers for Penn State. It's a position where they really need uh, some help, guys to come in right away. What are the Nittany Lions getting in Black?
3: Another another uh, deep threat. You know he he's able to go beat a beat a DB down the field so easily, you know, I watched this guy, you know, and with the with the smoothest moves he uses uh, at the line, I'll be like, just how, how how are you able to do this, man? And he, he's blessed with the ability to beat anybody on a deep ball, no matter how fast you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, you have to look out for normal with the deep ball. I feel like he's gonna give us that that edge we need as far as, um, you know, cause they lost KJ, you know, another deep route receiver. Uh, that, they, that they had. So nobody's going to come in. He's going to replace that, give him some. Give uh, the quarterback another target to throw to.
0: Now, you were both wearing Falcons uniforms last fall, but knew that you were going to be making the move to Penn State together. How special was that, uh, knowing that you're not just working toward a, a good season in 2019 at Lackawanna, but also building towards uh, greater goals in Happy Valley?
3: It uh, was special, especially during the season. You know. Two, uh Penn State commits, plan and we know we always talked about you dominate that side of the ball, but dominate this side of the ball. And uh, we both went out there and definitely did what we had to do. And our biggest goal right now, because me and Roy was actually close friends too, our biggest goal right now is, you no know, proving that we belong there.
0: You guys are now on board. I mentioned Wigan and Brisker, and now everyone says, well, who's next? And I know the answer to that for a lot of Nittany Lions fans would be the John Warren considered by many to be maybe the top overall junior college prospect in America. You know him pretty well, I'd imagine, after sharing the secondary last year, what kind of talent are we talking about and what kind of work are you doing to make sure Penn state has a positive impression there?
3: Oh man. Um, The John overall talent, you know, almost can do anything. Um, And it's just not his talent. It's his heart and his desire, his pride. You know, he, he has his pride is outrageous. You know, he won't let nobody beat him. He can't be beat. You know, and, and them type of guys you need, you know, the type of guys you need on defense, them guys that just, I'm going to step in front of you. I'm not going to let you beat me. Um, We're going to go at it, you know. So that's definitely what Penn State is getting. You know, I'm, I'm working on getting him over here.
0: We've had a chance to watch his freshman year highlights. The rankings have come out. The offers have, have, have gone his way from across America. Was there a moment early on before his, his name really got out there and blew up where you said, this guy's special this guy's going to end up with a lot of opportunities beyond Lackawanna.
3: Um, our game against um, Snow College. Snow College, you know, De'Jong always been looked at as a good player as far as drill-wise, you know, doing drills and, you know, running sprints and everything. Um, and we wanted to know if like he can get out there and play, you know. And Snow game was our first big game of the season. We went to Utah, and uh, we got out there, and he made – I think he had at least two interceptions, at least eight tackles. He was all over the place, you know. And that's when I first opened my eyes. Like, yeah, this guy's gonna be great.
0: You're gonna have three years to play two, so yeah. that's that's a different scenario than what most of the incoming Penn State players this summer or guys who enrolled early are looking at. Most of them, all but all but you and, and Black, five years to play four. Does it make things tricky to, to build relationships with the high school players? Are you still kind of feel like you're a part of that class or do you feel like it's a little bit different because you're coming in from the junior college level?
3: Yeah, it's it's a lot different, you know, like it's they're a lot younger, you know, and it's like it's two different types of. Uh, like connections there. You know, they come out of high school, playing against a bunch of high school. We come out of junior college. We already, you know, matured to a different level. And then these guys, they got some maturing to do, you know. That's yeah. a good,
0: that's a great point. Maturity is really tested for any college kid going away from home uh, and and taking on a lot, whether whether or not you're even playing a sport. But But playing football, it's such a time thing. Every day is charted out for you. Beyond the field for you, how did you mature most during your two years at the junior college level?
3: I can say I matured right after high school, you know. I I really sat down myself and I really um, told myself, this is what we're going to do and and how we're going to do it and how we're going to get it done. And right after high school where I didn't get where I wanted to be and, you know, coming that close to not going to school, I really decided, like, yeah, this is, this is not it for me. This, I got to focus. I got to get better. And, uh, that's where I, that's, I can say that's why I changed that. That's where maturity came in that.
0: Do you come to Penn state with academic goals in mind? Are you working your way toward a degree with a couple of years under your belt already? Do you want to maybe pursue a master's degree down the line? Where do you stand in terms of, of that transition to Penn state?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Academic goals, I I, I put them in front of my football goals. You know, Uh, I always wanted to prove to myself and to a lot of other people that I am more than just a football player. You know, uh, I'm definitely going to pursue my master's degree. Definitely. I'm definitely getting that without a doubt. Uh, So, yeah, I just definitely coming there. I'm looking to have above a three five, you know, and be one of the best players on the field.
0: And again, that SAT score further and further and further away from you in the rearview mirror as, as you've come so far in two years. Again, it's a really cool story. And I, I'm excited to see the next chapter for you at Penn State when we get a chance to see you in person here eventually. I want to leave you with this one. I've asked you a lot of questions. Let me hand the mic over to you. Why don't you tell Penn State fans across the country, aclo- across the world, what they are getting as a person, as a player, in their community. Uh, for the next two, three years of your life,
3: uh, you're getting a great player, a great player. Not even, not just a great player, a great person. You know, I've always been, always been a great people. To, um, always been a fan of the people. You know, um, definitely anybody can come up to me, ask me anything, talk to me about anything. I'm available after every game. You know, you definitely get that people's person and that player on the field.
0: There you go. The initial introduction to a lot of you with uh, Jair Brown. Not going to be the last time you hear this name, hear this voice. Uh, we look forward to big things for you in Happy Valley and, and seeing where it takes you. You've come a long way in a couple of years out of Trenton Central, that's for sure. Thanks yeah. again. <laughs> Thanks again for the time.
3: Yep, man. Nice, nice to be here, man. Thank you. Thanks again to
0: Jair for his time. Uh, you can hear he's anxious to get on campus. I think, you know, this is a little bit more clarity should be coming his way now that we know Penn State players will be will be returning next week. We recorded actually on on Thursday morning. So at that point, there wasn't really an indication of, of anything. So things have developed in a hurry there. Um, in terms of the 2021 recruiting class, still at 12 commitments. We've talked the last couple of episodes about some, some significant misses in terms of Commits going elsewhere, um, top lists not featuring Penn State, and, and a spot that continues to feel murky as things develop is at wide receiver. We mentioned Liam Clifford for a while before before the interview. Uh, he's going to be a component at wide receiver, we believe, labeled as an athlete, drawing some interest on defense. Same thing goes for Lonnie White, uh, but but there are spots to fill there, and we've new offers have been going out in the spring. Another one here in the first week of June to Dwayne Lofton down in Fort Worth, Texas. Penn State signed a four-star wide receiver prospect out of Texas last cycle in Parker Washington. He'll be a freshman this year. And at 5'10", 175 pounds, Lofton is a guy that you look at the eight universities he put on his top schools list on June 1st. So just this Monday, 48 hours or so before Penn State offered, the door certainly would seem to be open for Penn State in terms of prestige, Sean. These are not schools that you usually see on a list with Penn State for recruits. It's Arkansas State. Colorado, Mississippi State, San Diego State, Southern Methodist, Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, and Washington State. So, with the exception of maybe Virginia Tech, Penn State's you don't usually see them in, in a group there where they're competing for a commitment with those schools. And, you know, we'll see where it goes with Lofton. He's yet another player who has not spent time on campus, yet another player who says, yes, I would like to explore an official visit opportunity at Penn State. But I would also like to explore the possibility of committing to a school before my senior season, and that is the conundrum that a lot of recruits find them in. We don't need to go far too far down the road here with Lofton, Sean, uh, but he is a guy who last year was a district MVP, twenty-eight total touchdowns, fifteen hundred total yards. He's a he's gotten attention f- for different positions. Penn State season out wide receiver Taylor Stubblefield's the one who had that conversation, and all these new names continue to surface with the same common theme: they got the offer, they don't have the ability to visit. How does this all work out?
1: Rinse and repeat, man. Every every time we talk <laughs> about a, a new prospect, usually a new wide receiver prospect. That's really what we're looking at, and um, that offer list uh, sort of similar to Demetrius Cannon. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that we saw uh, in in St. Louis. So it's it's an interesting widening of the net. Uh, still going out there, and and you're right. Let's not get too far down this one because he can't visit. He won't have the ability to visit Mich- uh, Mississippi State. Uh, owns the crystal ball in this one. So um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. And you just, I think when you get back to it, when you have the ability to get these guys on back on campus, you want to have that relationship in place. And that's what the offer is all about uh, these days is is cultivating that offer or that relationship.
0: It feels like Penn State has offered four or five wide receivers since they last offered any other positional prospect in the 2021 cycle. So you can clearly see where that staff's attention is focused right now and where they think maybe they need to start knocking on a few new doors wide receiver right there and it's it's kind of been one that's been hard to, to put our finger on uh, with players looking elsewhere that we thought were, would be in for the long term with Penn State. Uh, moving forward, talk about long term Sean. Uh, mega Barnwell down in Virginia, uh, a young man that I spoke with during the winter, Got a Penn State offer as a freshman. He just completing his freshman year now. He'll be a sophomore this fall. And he's got a bunch of Power 5 options. Sounds like, (laughs) considering the circumstances, uh, brace yourself out there for our listeners, he may be ready to make a college decision very soon. And again, just completing his freshman year. Penn State has hosted him for a whiteout. They've made a good impression. Uh, maybe things are lining up for for something that we have not seen in the Franklin era in terms of uh, an early, early, early commitment that you just figure, we'll see how the next three years go. Yeah, I mean, uh, Penn State fans, I'm sure, are gun shy with this one,
1: <laughs> just spe- speaking of recent early commitments uh, that they've had. So I think the first commitment in the last two Maybe three classes have been uh have, have backed out of that uh, that number or excuse me, have backed out of that and eventually ended Keaton
0: up. Keaton Ellis, I think, is the outlier, but even you know, Micah Parsons in eighteen. Yeah, he backed off. Parsons after in he eighteen. Committed.
1: You had Grant Tutant in, in twenty, and uh, you know, last year obviously Dante Thornton was that guy. So, you know, a little gun shy for the early decision, but I mean this the kid thinks he knows where where he wants to go he's obviously a prospect that you're going to continue to recruit for the next couple of years um 65240 as a high school freshman, not sure. I mean, maybe he's twenty. I don't know. He's a uh, he's a big kid. He does have that baby. F- you mentioned that earlier. He's got that baby face. So he, you know, not sure how old he is, but you know, he's not the uh, not the I am twelve uh, from Benchwarmers or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Uh, no
0: mustache yet, but he's, yeah, he's, he's <laughs>
1: absolutely huge. He's a tight end right now. Um, is he a tight end in the long term? I don't know. He's a high school freshman. Um, so I think that this is. Uh, but it, it it's really what's really interesting to me. They've had him on campus a couple times. Most recently, for that junior day on on February 1st uh every time he comes away just buzzing about it and he's got a great relationship with Jaywon Sider with Tyler Bowen and you really can't talk to these kids very much but you see the interactions you see it playing out you see he's been vocal about Penn State and and really when this news came out which was broken by Evan Watkins uh on our Virginia Tech site uh Virginia Tech Tennessee Penn State all involved but really when the news came out you're like. could could he go anywhere else but Penn State right now? And and, and I think that's obviously still up in the air. But uh, Penn State has positioned itself extremely well. You don't see uh, commitments this early. You mentioned Parsons was during his sophomore, February of his sophomore year. Uh, Sean Clifford was an early commit before his junior year. Thornton before his junior year. Um, a couple of others have committed before their junior year, but this is. This is sort of uncharted waters here. So, um, we'll see which direction that goes. I like where Penn State stands with Barnwell. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a guy that he says he wants to come. If he wants to say he wants to come, that's great. Um, you obviously continue recruiting him. Um, continue figuring out how he's going to, uh, eventually grow or where he's going to end up. Is he i mean, you could throw this kid all over both lines. I mean, is he, is he a defensive, uh, tackle, which I know some schools have looked at him as defensive end? I mean, he's only, I mean, I say only 240 pounds as a freshman, but he's got some length to go with that. Is he an offensive lineman? Is he a tight end? He's an athletic kid. Um, when you've got that much versatility and that many options, uh, you certainly have to take him. And, and he's an active kid, you know, I, to get out ahead of, uh, you know, if if we get ahead of ourselves here, he's a very active kid on Twitter. He's a very, uh, I think can be a very active recruiter. He's been, uh, interacting, you know, watching from afar. He's been interacting with guys in Pittsburgh, guys all over the place, uh, in terms of that 2023 class. And, it's fascinating to think to me that Penn state may have a 2023 tight end in the boat before they have a 2021 tight end or before they have a 2022 commit. So um, I th- I think Penn state's in a, in a good spot here. Again, you're going to have to recruit him for the duration, but uh, you know, if he wants to to make that decision, I think he's in that
0: level of prospect where where you can make it happen. It's, it's just so it's, he's had one year at the high school level and it was abbreviated because of the coronavirus situation. So it, it's just it's it's so hard to wrap your head around being comfortable enough to make a decision like this but uh he's got a dozen or so power five offers uh, it extends all the way out to, to the university of southern california giving this kid an offer and yeah you wonder how he got that nickname mega barnwell by the way sean he, he has mentioned to us that tight end is his dream position tight end is where his heart is six foot five two sixty Three more years of high school. I can't help but picture this kid at offensive tackle with that athleticism, what he could be already possessing this kind of coordination for that physical stature at this age. There's just a lot to like here. So, hey, we'll, we'll see what happens. And and if he does make a move uh, and it's Penn State, it's it's a name that we're going to probably be hammering for a, a long time here on, on the show and, and on our coverage because it's pretty unprecedented when it comes to Penn State. Uh, we talked about it, Micah Parsons being the earliest commitment of the Franklin era. It would still be eight months behind schedule uh, of where Barnwell could potentially commit. So a lot to look at here. Uh, moving ahead on the recruiting trail um we'll get into our mailbag now where we always get a few questions about prospects and what's going on continue to send us your questions for the five-star mailbag on apple podcast uh, leave a five-star rating and review throw your question in there we'll do our best to address it been really fun uh having the audience drive our conversation and a de- bunch of different directions over the past few weeks and, and we'll let them do that again here uh, we start with a question from dc DSECU 20 he says has penn state's 2021 recruiting hit its peak does it have any reasonable shot at any of its remaining top targets
2: yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, here's the thing. This was a question that we had gotten for the the mailbag last week, and we said, you know, we, we'll push it back to another one because it's a pretty good question. Has it hit its peak? That's a tough one because you take a look at what's on the board, you take a look at the remaining spots, and and you you see what's out there, and you keep getting these these gut punches, if you will. You know, you're off Grimes' list, you're off uh, Donovan McMillan's list. It's just you know, it just feels like there's you're, you're sort of spinning your tires. There still are peaks out there that you can hit. And, and obviously to me that, that you look in state and those two guys, uh, Nolan Rucci and Derek Davis, you're still certainly in with, um, you're not, uh, you haven't written those guys off by any stretch of the imagination. What, what we're seeing here. And I think the concerning part is your, your board's getting thinner, um, you know, with those top guys. So your hit rate needs to be higher. And, you know, tr- traditionally, you're not going to hit on everybody, but you, you know, you, you want to hit on those top guys. So you've got Rucci, you've got uh, Derek Davis, who I think you're still in for. Caden Prey, there's a guy, you know, probably the only guy that we're looking at for a decision in the near future that you feel like you're in a good spot with. Kelvin Gilliam, I think you're in a really good spot with at defensive line. Dejon Warren, um, you know, a lot of people just kind of overlook him because he's a junior college player and his rating, you know, he's the number one junior college player in the country, but you sort of still overlook him because his rating is not up in the 95s or whatever. So Dejon Warren, I think Penn State's still in a good spot with, and he's a top target. And then it kind of gets a little bit murky. We mentioned Prather. I mean, is Elliot Donald a guy that you, you know, can seemingly swing from Pitt Jamari Budden's a guy that, uh, you know, we're probably higher on in the services than, than college coaches are, but still, I think Penn State's the leader there. So you've got guys out there, and that board will evolve, especially at wide receiver, as we've seen it happen with Dante Thornton and Julio For- Farouk. That board will evolve, but you're, you're getting fewer top targets out there, fewer opportunities to win over top targets, um, and I think that's probably where the negativity comes in. Um, you know, if you bat 500 on those guys, that's actually pretty decent, um, but really still, that's a tall order, especially considering who you're recruiting against for some of these prospects. And then you move down the board a little bit. You've got Diego pounds there. You got some other defensive linemen. I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned, George Wilson, uh, is a very big target for Penn state right now, but North Carolina has, has really made an impression on him. So you still have to figure out uh, what you're going to do at defensive end and, and, and go from there. So I think, uh, you know, has it hit its peak? I mean, you blew, th- I mean, I, I would say. You know, the the peak is when you get 10 commits in in six weeks uh, from a from a number standpoint, from a bulk of your class standpoint. So that would be a peak. But still, I think there's some some very high, uh, you know, uh, elevations that you can still climb. But really, to me, it comes down to to Rucci and Davis. If you can close on those guys,
0: I mean, that's uh, that's what's going to make or break your class. Difficult to make a definitive statement here because I think they'd be working their way towards another peak, the peak. Uh, If they get into November again with an unbeaten record, that would mean they went through a buzzsaw, including Ohio State. That is where you're going to pick up a lot of ground in recruiting. Let's not remember... This cycle is going to extend through the season. I have a feeling it's going to be a, a deeper cycle. We'll see how that impacts Penn State in terms of going into the winter, into February, because of the, the kind of the pause that has been in place on visits. So I do see this extending you know, beyond Christmas compared to where we saw the last couple of years. And uh, we'll see what kind of resume Penn State puts together here in, in, in James Franklin's uh, seventh season at the helm, because I think that's going to go a long way in, in being able to channel that Narrative, Sean. And there's a few things at play here. I mean, you look at where this where
1: the board was in February before all this stuff happened, and it's big. And then all of a sudden, guys come off the board because they can't, you know, they can't visit anywhere, they can't do anything, lock up a spot somewhere, that board shrinks. I think that board is going to expand again when you get into the fall, and these guys say, Well, I didn't really do my due diligence. I didn't, I did a disservice to myself by committing to a school so early without checking out my other options and it opens up again and it expands and then you get to the first signing day and obviously Penn State wants to sign most if not all of its class in the first signing day but I think if you wait this year in particular if you wait past that first signing day you're going to have a lot of leverage you're going to have an opportunity to to see what's out there in those classes and obviously Everybody wants to fill up in December, but you're going to have an opportunity to get out and make those visits in next January and see where you fit on their board. And all of a sudden we, we've seen guys that probably shouldn't get offers from some schools in January, you know, sort of blow up in that uh, in that process. And I think you're going to see that even more this year. Next
0: question comes from Joe T. He says, do coaches pay attention and utilize the resources provided By recruiting sites, do stars, ratings, and rankings play a part in the decisions they make or perhaps just for straight marketing purposes? Three questions in this one question, all of them good questions. Uh, my first story
1: comes from signing day. I think it was the first or second signing day um, that, that we did the war room thing. And it was much smaller than It was a different uh, sort of atmosphere there. They didn't do the whole party thing. Well, they did some sort of party thing, but not the the big um, – all the donors and all, all – it, it's irrelevant. But – so I'm sitting there at the table, and a coach across, and I'm not going to name the coach. The coach is going through our top two, four, seven for the next class, highlighting guys, checking out guys that are in his area, in his position. Um, so yes, they absolutely, um, you know, use the resources provided by the recruiting sites. They they look at the you know who we've got ranked. They look at because uh, c- it's really it's a double check on their own work. You know, obviously, um, going into the second question, do stars, ratings, rankings play a part in the decisions they make? No. I mean, that that can't be how you operate. We've seen programs that have operated that way that just go down in a heap of flames because they haven't done their own evaluations of the, the talent, the personality, the kid, and how that fits into their own program, and, you know, you can put a bunch of four stars in a room and it's, you know, you're not going to get the same results every time. So that, that doesn't really play into it. Obviously they want their guys to be rated as highly as possible (laughs) or, well, I guess most part they want their guys to be, their committed guys to be rated as highly as possible. The guys are still going after, they kind of want to keep hidden sometimes, but no, that really doesn't play a part in the decisions that they make. And if you let that happen, it's going to catch up to you and it's going to, you know, it's going to really affect your program in the long run. Um, For straight marketing purposes. Yeah. They want the highest ranked class they can, they can have. I mean, this is something that they pay attention to. This is something that other prospects pay attention to. This is something that when they go to the negotiation table with uh, Sandy Barber or something like that, that is something that they, you know, if, if if they're doing it right, that's something that they leverage. So yes, absolutely they pay attention to it. Um, coaches that, that say stars don't matter are talking out of one side of their mouth and doing something out of the other side of their mouth because they Absolutely follow it, and really the successful ones have people following it for them um it's uh it's been really interesting to see the the lower uh i guess below the not below the table that's a that's a bad way to say it, but um off the radar interactions that that go along with that because these guys want to use us as a tool to market their program, and you know they don't pay us so it's uh it's sort of uh, free labor on that end and at the same time they want uh they want all the information that they can get like i said they don't use our rankings to to formulate their board we talked about that with the mailbag question last week about why are you taking 3 stars at this point when there's four and five stars out there they don't use it like that but they use every bit of information that they can and they parse that stuff and they have interns that go through that stuff and try and verify that stuff and yeah i i think there's a lot of um you know i don't want to say interaction but there's a lot of uh, using of what we do to help them out. And I think that's what you should do, but you can't let it dictate what you do as an entire program.
0: Urban Meyer was on 24-7 Sports Social Distance Series where James Franklin appeared in May. Uh, and, and one of the things he was asked, I think it was Martin Simmons speaking with him. I could be wrong there, but the question was, you know, how much do you pay attention to this stuff? And you know, he said, yeah, we're on, we're on twenty four seven sports every day, uh, seeing where guys are. You know, are, are leaning. There are, you know, sometimes these coaches are going to have trouble getting a clear picture of, of what a prospect is really thinking because maybe the prospect only tells them what they want to hear, or it could be tough to get in touch with a guy. So oftentimes, reporters like us have access that. They don't have or we're, we have that information. Um, that's one part of it. And I think, you know, from the rankings, ratings and, and stuff. And before I started covering Penn State, I was covering recruiting at a national level, writing a lot of, you know, kind of feature stories on, on, on recruits in different parts of the country. And I would go to a lot of these camps, whether it's the opening and, and just, you know, I would usually get a few reach outs after each of these camps from a different coaches, in different parts and different conferences in the country and say, how did so-and-so look, whether it was their commit or a target, you know, and, and, and you know, do you have any kind of uh, 40-yard dash times you would mind passing along and all that stuff. So there's a lot of things that you can kind of comb through, especially in camp coverage, which is not happening right now, that is valuable to staff as they tr- they try to kind of formulate a picture of who a player is. But yeah, you're, you're going down a dangerous path if you are basing your offers and your commitment acceptances off of you know the site ratings and site rankings cuz you need to make sure that personality checks out you need to make sure that that athletic profile fits what you're looking for, and that there's a scheme fit there with your assistant coaches, and everybody's on the same page there. But there certainly is some window dressing involved there. You'll hear coaches, uh, you know, at their press conference say they don't pay attention to the rankings on signing day, and yet you look at the press releases coming out of the school. The second paragraph mentions where their class was ranked. If the class was ranked high, of course, uh, you know that, that's usually something they include within that university press release. And fortunately, often. It's 24/7 sports being referenced I can tell you back in the day my three years in a recruiting department um, you know it was much more limited in terms of what was available but we were definitely asked to go on every day and, and see if there were, you know, quote unquote, sleepers popping up onto the scene that that we can get maybe an early look at or uh, where the rankings were shifting just just to compile names, uh, you know, just start putting names in a spreadsheet early, especially if they're, you know, a list of a high school sophomores, you know, uh, 24-7 sports already has rankings up for the 2022 class. You know, that, that's a nice benefit for, for a lot of staffs out there, although they have all the resources and stuff. So it's an interesting collaboration because you are often, as you said, you're kind of pressed. Uh, about you know bumping up a guy's rating, you know, things that are beyond our con- our control. In a lot of cases, um, we're at, at the same time. I, my question is always, what is a coach going to want back in return for recurring info? That was always my trepidation back on the national beat when I would get stuff. I'm like, you just hope there's not a quid pro quo situation going on with some of the you know the stuff you're exchanging. Because you said. I'm not on your payroll, but you know you, you also don't want to burn bridges, and you also you know you it's it's sometimes you you know you really want to help promote a prospect, especially if if for whatever reason you you feel like that prospect may be getting overlooked. I, no arguments there. Um, it's <laughs> it's
1: an interesting uh, dynamic, but yeah, I mean they're very prevalent in the recruiting. Or we we uh, ourselves are very prevalent in the recruiting process. Not not so much uh, influencing, or uh, you know. D- saying this kid should go there, and but we were very much prominent in the recruiting process, and that's really shown up over the last 10 years, especially with 24-7 sports. Uh, final mailbag question, simp for mailbag. Uh, now that Jan Johnson is gone, which Penn State walk-on will overtake more highly rated teammates to become a starter and become our new favorite player? This was an interesting one. I thought it would be easier than it was because you look at the roster and, you know, we got we got really used to walk-ons for a while at Penn State, uh looking at uh, you know, the sanctions and and knocking that number down. So there were guys that that have had their their moment. Jan Johnson, of course, a two-year starter for Penn State at middle linebacker. He's been the guy that uh you've pointed to, but beyond that, you you don't really see a ton. And and these stories are fantastic, and you know, it's it's great to have walk-ons, but they're fewer fewer and far more you know what i mean there's not as many as you think uh, there's going to be we're, we're an hour and a half in so if you're still with us uh you watch me stumble over myself. Congratulations, you made it. Um, but no, there's not there's not a ton of guys. And I'll go. Uh, I think Drew Hartlob has been fantastic for Penn State. I mean, he's is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a starting safety? Probably not. But what he's been able to do at the special teams level, he's, he's used the physical tools and the physical gifts that he's had to carve out a niche and, and be where he needs to be. And looking over that roster, there's not a ton of guys that I can point to and say, "All right, this guy's going to be a starter. This guy's going to work his way in." I know you have one. Um, but then you look at the, uh, the the class of 2020, so pretty good walk-ons that are coming in in terms of their credentials and their high school output, and they've picked Penn State over some certain offers, but those don't always uh, pan out. We saw this week uh, Denver Light from from Tyrone Dalton Dodonna from Bethlehem both entered the transfer portal. Will, will they stay at Penn State? I don't know. That's not uh, information that I have right now. But it just shows it how tough they are. I mean, these are guys that that turned down other offers to to come to Penn State. Now, one year in, they're kind of looking around. Now they do have a little bit of a of, of a bonus there in that you can walk on somewhere and maybe get a, a scholarship and play right away because of some of how the, how some of the rules work work, but this is a, a, a different opportunity. So I look at the 2020 class. I think Levi Forrest is one of the top punters in the country. Um, special teams is a great way to break in, whether that's uh, covering kicks or actually kicking the kicks. Levi Forrest has a big leg, um, so we'll see how that develops. Johnny Christ, the uh, tight end from uh, from Pennsylvania, also a very good basketball player. He's got a lot of tools that those scholarship guys have. He just didn't have the, you know, the scholarship level, uh, at least school's didn't deem him a scholarship level guy. So, I'm excited I'm excited to see the, the development of both of those guys, but when you take a roster that's this talented and you've recruited as as well as Penn State has, it's it's tougher to break through and there's going to be some guys that break through, there's going to be some stories, but they're not going to happen as much as
0: you probably would remember when thinking about you growing up watching college football. And that's why those stories stand out. Uh, Penn State, you know, I, I'm looking. I was looking at the roster with this question, and and I already had one name, and and I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that anybody is going to jump a bunch of scholarship players eventually and start. But if someone's going to give maybe their coach some reason to think maybe we should take a look at this kid on the two deep down the line, Blake Zalar stands out to me. Um, he is a redshirt freshman right now. He's out of Cole Township, Pennsylvania. He was a kid I caught up with during the recruitment process that was you know a little bit interesting yeah you know, uh, 6 years ago uh, Penn State swiped Saquon Barkley away from Rutgers uh, last year, they swiped the walk-on away from Rutgers in Blake Zellar. He was committed to go and, and end up in Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, Penn State. Uh, it, from what he d- described, it was the Penn State staff saw some video of him actually running track. He was a sprinter on the, on the high school track team at about six foot two, three hundred pounds or whatever he was at that point, six foot two, two ninety, uh, and he's moving. And uh, that kind of started the dialogue. Penn State opportunity presents itself. You know, pretty easy decision for him to end up in Happy Valley. And you know, last we saw him, he was actually the guy who had the honor of breaking down uh, the entire Penn State weight room. Um, not putting things away, but breaking down the group at the end of practice and and, and leading that uh, a- after their session. And we saw him and I think it was the end of February, early March, whatever it was, right before the world fell apart. Um, he was a beast in the weight room. I think it was six reps of... Hold on. I have it here in front of me. Uh, six reps of 495 on the squat rack. And that stood out to everybody in the room. People were like, who is this kid? Um, who's Zalar? They all have their name on the back. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes for him in the offensive line group. It's a, it's a spot where they have cultivated better depth than in years past, but, um, he's one that pops out to me. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you want players like that and sometimes they break through, oftentimes
1: they do not. I mean, you look at uh, how excited some people get for walk-on commitments and realize that, you know, for for every one that hits, there's probably a hundred that don't. So um, we'll see where that goes. He's got some guys in front of him. I mean, Penn State's uh, taking numbers on the offensive line, but they they love the way that he competes. They love the way that, uh, you know, obviously he's got um, different, uh, you know, he's got, i i don't want to slight the kid but he's got scholarship scholarship strength he's got you know some athleticism that some of the scholarship guys that they brought in don't have so he's got a lot of tools that you look for and sometimes you strike gold and oftentimes you don't but i think uh, Blake Zalar is probably a good uh example of that dan vesey we've seen uh you know he he's been uh working his way into the defensive line rotation also special teams and and like i said special teams is the, is the number one route right there you bring in a long snapper you bring in uh you know a, a a kicker, punter, something like that, and maybe they can. Raphael Checa was was a kickoff guy for them two years ago. So um, that, it, it's it's tougher than you probably want to imagine, and that's why you see some of these guys like Denver Light, who was a, a Fordham commit at one time, like Dalton Dadana, um, you know, who had uh, FCS offers to to go with. I mean, you see them out of the program uh, in a year or two, and that's uh, really not not much you can
0: do about that. They took their shot. They made that decision, and and you know it, it. They got that experience. They went all the way to to Jerry World in Dallas, and you know they 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 had a hell of a ride, even if it was a short lived one at Penn State. And they want to go try to find playing time at a different level. And they got a bill for it. So <laughs> they got a tuition bill for it. <laughs> That's so. true. That is a, that is a big distinguishing factor. By the way, Zolar, I just checked out his his bio on uh, Go PSU. Six time coaching staff developmental squad offensive player of the week during his freshman year so clearly he turned some heads on the practice field um sean we have gone for a long time we got insight from jair brown anything else to add before we roll into what looks like an absolutely gorgeous weekend here in state college yeah that's it man it's let's go get it yeah let's go let's go get it i mean let's get into that weekend an hour I
1: this might be a record for us um so Thank you. If you're still with us, congratulations. You did it. Um, you have a very <laughs> large lawn to mow. Um, so, you no. Know, but it's, uh, it, it's been great. I think it's, a, what'd I say? Really solid show last week and people said it was a great show. Fairly
0: solid. I think yeah. this was
1: a fairly good show today. So, uh, we appreciate sure. you hanging out with us. And again, check us out on Apple podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, um, leave those review those five-star reviews and the questions and we'll get to them. We've really had a great, uh, and we've, we've had great feedback with that and we've had great, uh, great questions. So, uh, we'll keep them coming and, and get us through the summer because you know, we're, we're this is not a phased return here. This is what we've been doing. And, and we, we hope that it's been passing the time for you, been a distraction, been a diversion, been whatever you need, but we thank you for listening.
0: Yep. More coming your way next week, two episodes, hopefully some more guests, five-star mailbag time, go to Apple podcasts to throw your question in there. And if you couldn't tell by the length of this show, we're pretty excited to see that Penn State football in some way, shape, and form is beginning to resume on campus. Stay with us. Stay informed on lines 247com For now, on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Stepping away. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast.